0: All right, so uh, just to let you know that uh, we are uploading each of these videos in this series to our website. Uh, You can go to our website, fumc.com, and find our contemporary page, uh, and you can see all the past videos. We have seven that we're going to be putting up uh, total uh, and uh, you could go to f- FUMC.com slash contemporary or FUMC.com and uh, click the buttons to find our contemporary page and you can find uh, all the videos that we have done up to this point if you have missed one. Also want to encourage you to look at our podcast or our website for that uh, FUMC.com. You can get uh, any of the sermons that we've done in this series. Uh, it's good to do that just because this is one of those series that kind of builds on itself. It's a, this is a cumulative class if you will and uh, what we talk about today day is built on uh, the weeks beforehand. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you feel like there are some gaps in uh, what uh, is being preached, then maybe that will help out a little bit. All right, a quick review here. Uh, We have seen how work is good, that God created us for the very reason of work. How That is what it means to be created in God's image. And yet early on in the story, sin corrupts work and causes separation between us and God and us and one another. However, Jesus has overcome that separation by giving his life on a cross, therefore providing a way for reconciliation to happen. Reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another. We have also seen how God has subjected all the creation to futility, which means we deal with this thing called thistles and thorns in the midst of our work. And the point of that is that we would uh, hope in God, that we would cry out to Him, that in the midst of of being subjected and frustrated, it would lead us to a humble place of crying out to God for help, for salvation, uh, for deliverance, and all the ways that we cry out to God. We have looked at how God is a great delegator, and that he is one in authority, but throughout human history, we can see that we have authority issues. We are living with the seeds of rebellion that have been planted in the human heart ever since Adam and Eve, and in doing that, we have issues with authority. However, Jesus submitted himself to his father's authority, even to the point of dying on a cross, and therefore God exalted him and raised him above all all authorities because Jesus was willing to trust and believe in the goodness of the authority of his loving father. The loving father gave Jesus authority over all of heaven and earth. And so we are called to do all of the work that we do as unto the Lord, as unto Jesus. Even work that may feel meaningless, even work that we don't feel is uh, making a difference, we can still do that Kind of work uh, as unto the Lord. Now that leaves us with a, a big question, and this is a question that we need to uh, hit on in this series, and that is this What if my line of work doesn't honor God? What if my line of work doesn't honor His people or doesn't honor creation? What if I feel like I'm in a field of work or an industry that, that isn't doing anything that's really good? That's one question we are going to have to deal with. Another question we will have to deal with is, what if my work environment is not a healthy place? What if my environment is pressuring me to be dishonest with customers or to fudge the numbers or to look the other way when certain forms of abuse or mistreatment is happening? We're going to pick up on those kinds of questions Next week, Okay, so that's a little teaser. Put that on the shelf. We're going to pick that up next week about what it means to address things in the workplace that are not in line with God's will or God's kingdom, Uh, whether that means confronting others, uh, whether that means quitting and changing your job. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Uh, Or even blowing the whistle. So we'll get to that. But before we go there, I think it's important that we get a little more grounded in the positive side of work. And so today we are going to talk about God's calling on our lives. The word calling comes from the Latin vocare, and that is where we get the word vocation. And vocation is what we do. So our vocation has to do with our calling. Often we think of our vocation as just something that we made up on our own. Uh, but historically that word is connecting, connected to the calling on our lives. Time and time again, Jesus goes to people and specifically calls them. He invites them. He commands them. He says to them, hey, you come and follow me. We heard the scripture in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calling Peter. He tells Peter to, to throw his net on the other side of the boat, uh, to go out into the, into the deep for a fish and to throw his net out. And Peter is like, we've been fishing all night. And he catches a huge amount of fish. And Peter realizes he's in the presence of greatness. He's in the presence of someone great. And in need how Jesus affirms Peter's vocation. He affirms his calling. He affirms what he is doing with his hands. And yet he puts a, an additional calling on his life. And it says that they left everything. They left their livelihood. They left their their existing vocation and followed another calling, another vocation. There are other times when people want to follow Jesus and they come up and say, let me follow you. Let me hang out with you. But Jesus says no for various reasons, one of which often they are not willing to let go of the things that they are attached to. They want to follow Jesus on their own terms. They want to follow Jesus with their own interests maintained. Following Jesus always requires a letting go of something, whether it's your nets, metaphorically or literally, uh, whether it's your livelihood. Anytime we follow Jesus in any way whatsoever, we have to let go of something. That is the choice that we have to make. Well, in the same way that Jesus calls people to follow him, we have a choice to follow him or not. Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples of all the nations. That means if, if we are a disciple of Christ then we are ones who follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means that you have a calling on your life. And so, just in case we're asleep this morning, uh, we're going to do this together. We're going to say this out loud, okay? God has a calling on my life. Are we ready? We geared up with enthusiasm now. One, two, three. God has a calling on my life. Okay, Let's say it one more time and let it sink down a little more. One, two, three. God has a calling on my life that is true of every single one of you. Some think that God only calls a few people, maybe pastors or missionaries or nonprofit workers, and that everybody else can just do what they want in the world. That is not the truth. That is a lie. God has a calling on all of us. Just as God created Adam and put him in a garden, God created you and put you in the world. God not only made you to work, but he gave you very specific gifts and abilities and preferences to do certain kinds of work. I love watching all these videos because it's amazing to see how each person has a little bit of a different story. And a lot of times, uh, every person that we highlight in these videos, they've had a, a sense of, I was doing this, and then I decided, you know, that's not exactly what God's calling me to do, and so I've decided to kind of shift that. Or I ran into a brick wall here, and and so God moved me in this direction. And usually, a a lot of times, that takes a a long period of time. Uh, It takes sometimes months or years even. And and honestly, a calling is something that we are always working on. Uh, We're always honing in. Uh, We can always be praying about God's calling on our lives and how God might be shifting the needle to the right or to the left a little bit in our lives, or in some cases, a lot. And so, you may be asking, well, how do I get in touch with God's calling on my life? You know, it's easy to know what we don't want to do, isn't it? Some of us just say, I would never in my life be a teacher, Others would say, I could never work in in the medical field. I I just can't do it. Uh, Some would say, I would never be able to be a good farmer or rancher. Others would say, I could never be in an office job. It would just suck the life out of me. It's amazing to see how God made us so diverse and different. The reason he did that is because Given how he made you, he made you for specific things, to do certain things, and to, to live a certain way in the life, in your life. And so I have a quote that I really love that helps us, I think, to really get started on this business of finding our calling. And it's by a man by the name of Frederick Buchner. He says this, "...the work that God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger..." Meet okay. Let's let that soak in. The work that God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Now let's flesh that out a little bit. I want to invite you to think about two concentric circles, and one of those circles is your deep gladness, and the other circle is the world's deep hunger. Okay. This is my uh, attempt at a diagram of sorts. This is copyright me. I don't want anyone you know, stealing this and putting it out there for publication. Just kidding. Um, So think about it. There's a deep gladness inside of you, and there's a deep hunger in the world. On the left, the blue circle and everything in it represents who God made you to be and how God made you. And on the right represents the world uh, that you have been planted in. Let's start out with the one on the left. Your deep gladness. Our deep gladness comes from deep within us, gives us a sense of joy and meaning and energy and purpose in our lives. Our deep gladness does not mean it is always easy. In fact, I think that in a lot of ways, we think of deep gladness and we simply think, well, whatever makes me happy. No, deep gladness goes deeper than that there are some substitutes for deep gladness that we have to clear out of the way before we can get at the heart of what that really means. The first substitute for deep gladness is money. Because when we work in our society, it gives us this stuff called money, doesn't it? And you can do a lot with money. And the beautiful thing about money is you can do a lot of good with it. But the challenging part about money is you can use it for evil as well. Money does different things. Money gives us a sense of security. It makes us feel like we've got everything that we need. The temptation with it is that, is that if you get enough of it, then we really come to a place where we don't really think about having to trust in God to provide for our needs. That's a dangerous place to be in. Money also gives us comfort. It allows us to buy things that make us comfortable, where we don't ever... Have to live into anything that's difficult. Third of all, money can provide status. The cars that we buy, the houses and the neighborhoods that we choose to live in, uh, the clothes that we choose to wear, they all can say, Look who I am in the world. Look how important I am. Those are the things of status, they make us feel good. Money is a substitute for deep gladness. None of these things really get at who we really are in our deep gladness. The second substitute for our deep gladness is living out the expectations of others. How often do people find themselves going into a line of work because that's what mom and dad wanted them to do? parents, let's be careful not to push too hard on our parents and what we think they need to be doing. I say that all the while feeling that tension as a parent, wanting my kids to, you know, be productive members of society and all that good stuff. But let's think about how, um, how tempting is it to simply go into what we do because somebody else wants us to. I, grew up the son of a farmer and rancher. And me and my two brothers uh, heard from our father over the years, on and off, we, we heard him say again and again, you guys do whatever you wanna do with your life. And I and my brothers never felt pressure to come back to the family farm and the family ranch, which is probably a good thing because I would have probably messed it up. But in my mind, I never felt like I, I was bound to that. And for me, that was a very good thing, I think, so far. I'll tell you, once, the, once my life is over, I'll look back and it's like, man, I should have just been a farmer. But for now, that's a very, very good thing. And neither of my brothers or myself uh, have continued in that way. How tempting would it have been um, when my great-grandfather moved to uh, Hansford County, Texas, from Tennessee in the late 1800s uh, and, and bought a farm. And then uh, his son, my granddad, inherited that farm. And then my dad inherited that farm. How much pressure sometimes is there for that generation to to feel like you got to live into those expectations. Maybe God's calling you to carry things like that out, but maybe God's calling you to do something else. Living out of the expectations of others is a substitute for your deep gladness. And then finally, the third way of substituting for deep gladness is taking the easy way out, finding something that's just so easy, something that doesn't really challenge you, something uh, that'll get you by in life, but it's not really connected to any real deep meaning or purpose for your understanding of, of any kind of calling of God on your life. Often our deep gladness is not just the easiest work in front of us. If you're taking the path of least resistance, then I challenge you to look deeper into maybe a deeper calling that God has for you. Often there is struggle and trial to discover what you were made to do. These three substitutes of money, living out of the expectations of others, and taking the path of least resistance are all in this category of self-serving. Ultimately, all of those are serving the self. And self serving motivations are not kingdom motivations. God did not make you and plant you into this world to serve yourself. God made you in his image to serve him. And when we serve him, we will find ourselves serving others as well. In other words, God's calling on your life is not about you, your deepest gladness is not serving yourself okay so that's the left side your deep gladness on the right side we have the world's deep hunger what is the world's deep hunger i want to talk about this at two different levels the first level is the level of general creation and at the level of general creation we have the world of adam the world of genesis chapter one and chapter two God created the world, he said it is good. Even though God subjected this creation to futility so that the creation would groan out in hope, it is still a good creation. So that's one level that we can think about the world's gladness is just the world that we find ourselves in as creations of God in this world of Adam. But there is a new world happening all at the same time. It's the world of the new creation. The world of Jesus, the world of the kingdom of God, whereby all authority in heaven and earth has already been given to Jesus. These two worlds exist at the exact same time. You and I live in both of them together. And it's important to not neglect one for the other. And sometimes that's the tendency is to neglect the world of Adam, to neglect Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 for kind of a pie-in-the-sky theology, an escapist understanding of our faith that leaves the world and everybody else behind. The other mistake that can be made is to just say this world is all we got. That's it. There's no real God, and if there is a God, He's not creating any new world for us. This is all we got. We better just live with the, the best that we can. Both of those are, are shallow ways or, or limited ways, shall I say, of understanding the work that we're called to, to do, the world that we're called to live in. As people of faith, we're called to live in both of these worlds at the same time. And so the world's greatest hunger is, is a hunger for both of those worlds. You may find in your your work that you're doing a lot of the work of Adam. You're doing a lot of the work of the creation of this world. That's a very good thing. And you may have to try harder to see, well, how is the kingdom of God living and coexisting in this world at the same time? Maybe you're in a world where um, you're thinking of the kingdom of God a lot, and and it's kind of hard to remember the world of Adam Um, I think ministers sometimes have to remember those things uh, more than most. But we have to make sure we're taking both of these worlds. When we talk about the world's deep hunger, we're talking about the hunger of the creation in general, but also our longing for something more. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning of that new world, the beginning of that new creation. And we are called to long for and anticipate that world. The day will come when the first world gets swallowed up by the second. Where the first world, the world of Adam, gets fully encompassed by the world of Christ. Where resurrection has the fullness of its power in the new heavens and in the new earth. Until that day comes, we are called to be a people who live in both worlds. And so my brothers and sisters, think about your context. Think about the work world that you live in right now. Think about the vocation that you are living out. Do you, do you, are you living into the calling that God has on your life? Do you need to struggle with that a little bit? Do you need to wrestle with that? Are you doing what you're made to do? Are you going where you were made to go? Are you being who God made you to be? Maybe there's a step today you can take in the direction of continuing to discover where that place is. Often, It may take months and even years of continuing to grow in that understanding of God's calling on our lives. Find your overlapping circle. Find the place in your life where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Finally, I simply have to say that sometimes God calls us to a work that we do not feel that is all inside of our gladness zone. He calls us to a a work that is over there in the red. And and there's nothing in us that perceives that, that this is my deep gladness. When God called Moses out of the burning bush, there was nothing in Moses that felt, oh, this is my deepest gladness, is to go and to rescue the children of Israel, to go into Pharaoh's house and to say, the Lord God says, let my people go. He had no connection with deep gladness in that moment. And yet God called, it to, called him to that. There's no other person on the planet at the time that was fit for that role other than Moses. Born of a Hebrew, yet raised in the house of Pharaoh. Lived on both sides of that line between the Israelites and Pharaoh. Moses was the person. And the reason that it wasn't in his deep gladness, I think, is because Moses was running from God. He was out in the wilderness running away. Sometimes God may call you to something that you don't even feel like that's something you'd want to do. But when you turn to him and you come to him and you give him your life, he will show you the way. Ultimately, as we grow in this, we begin to realize that the kingdom of God is worthy of our lives. We talked a little bit about Jesus calling Peter on the boat. Peter says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, come and follow me. Seeing how this vocation changes and grows throughout the course of Peter's life. At the end of John chapter 21, Jesus says this to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, follow me. As we follow Jesus, we will continue to grow in our understanding of the value of God's kingdom. And we will even see how that kingdom is worthy of our very lives. Let us pray.